0: Be seated. Good morning, morning, Your Honor. Kenny Nos Young Conaway, Stargate and Taylor on behalf of the debtors. Um, Your Honor, we just have two items on the agenda today: uh, cash collateral as well as the disclosure statement. With respect to cash collateral, Your Honor, we did submit a. And it did, I believe we're on our fourth interim order under certification of counsel last night. I'm not sure if you you, you had an opportunity to review it. Um, however, to the extent you have any questions, Rob Jacobson of Kirkland and Alice would be happy to walk you through it.
1: Thank you. I reviewed it this morning. Does anyone else want to be heard with respect to the fourth interim order? I hear no one. I reviewed it. It looks like it simply extends the period further and permits the use of cash collateral. I'll sign it.
0: Outstanding. Thank you very much, Your Honor. I believe that takes us to the solicitation procedures motion and the disclosure statement. With the permission of the court, I'll cede the podium to Mr. Bennett of Kirkland-Ellis.
2: Mr. Bennett. Good morning, Judge. Ryan Bennett of Kirkland-Ellis on behalf of the debtors. I'm here today with my colleagues, Mr. Gremling, and Mr. Jacobson. Uh, Before I begin, I just want to take a brief moment. Uh, to thank Your Honor and your court staff for accommodating us, uh, particularly this week in between uh, Christmas and New Year's. Also, uh, thank the others for joining us in the courtroom today and on Zoom and really for all the substantial work that has been uh, performed over the holidays as we hope to obtain Your Honor's approval today of the disclosure statement. Um, as, as we stated before, to Your Honor, and throughout our papers filed with the court, the debtors commenced these cases to effectuate a third-party sale transaction or If a third-party sale transaction could not be consummated, implement a transaction through a plan that transferred the assets and ownership over to our secured lenders and wind down the the estates. Uh, To that end, we filed an initial plan and disclosure statement just before Thanksgiving on November 21, and those plan and disclosure statement documents include that toggle between two outcomes for these Chapter 11 cases, which we are calling Path A and Path B. Path A was to implement the third-party sale transaction for the going concern company, in Path B was uh, if that sale transaction would not be achievable to uh, transfer the ownership and control of the estates to uh, or the assets to our secured lenders. Um, as my partner, Ms. Fogelberg, mentioned at the last hearing, um, the debtors' pre- post petition sale process did not result in a third-party bid that was higher than the or better than the two hundred seventy-five million dollar floor that the uh, the lenders put down, and so we are toggling and have toggled to a Chapter Eleven plan. And disclosure statement that reflects our path B. Uh, Mr. Gremling will tell you we received two objections to our disclosure statement, uh, one from Negocios Libertad LLC, that's an entity controlled by our former CEO, Mr. Groen, and the uh, and the Unsecured Creditors Committee. <clears throat> In response to those objections on December twenty three, we refiled further revide, revised vision, versions of the plan and disclosure statement. Uh, at docket numbers 414 and 415, respectively. Uh, the revised disclosure statement includes additional disclosures that we believe address the objections as to the adequacy and, uh, and, and uh, provide further clarity to, uh, to uh, voting creditors. We also filed a reply to the objections on docket number 408 and attached to that reply is a chart where we succinctly address uh, each of the objections and provide uh, further reference. Um, Before I hand the podium over to Mr. Gremling, though, um, to handle the disclosure statement uh, specifically, I'd like to briefly preview for the court where we're going in the Chapter 11 cases. If Your Honor does approve the disclosure statement this morning, the debtors will complete service of our solicitation package um, by this Friday with a goal to be in front of Your Honor for a confirmation hearing uh, in early February. As we previewed, Your Honor, previously, the debtors also anticipate that we will require an injection of incremental liquidity in mid-January to bridge to the effective date of our plan. Uh, to that end, we work constructively with certain of our pre lenders on the terms of a dip and are actively negotiating a term sheet and dip order. We have scheduled court time on January 8th for an interim dip hearing, and we intend to file our dip motion as soon as possible, and, and as soon as perhaps tomorrow. <clears throat> um, you know, Finally, Judge, as early as immediately following today's hearing, the debtors and our lenders intend to sit down with uh, advisors to the Unsecured Creditors Committee to talk through a path to a settlement. Uh, we want to identify, we've identified certain assets that we believe, and assets and actions that we can take to increase the numerator and, uh, and decrease the denominator. Um, for unsecured creditor recovery. And we want to have that conversation so that we can avoid the cost of litigation and potential delay in the bankruptcy case. Um, In the event that we do strike a settlement with the unsecured creditors, we can amend the plan accordingly, and it will not require resolicitation because we are not soliciting that class. And it will only improve their recovery at the end of the day. Um, And for that, Your Honor, I'm going to turn the podium over to Mr. Gremling to walk you through uh, our disclosure statement.
1: I was, any thinking, I was just thinking about you, you're saying you're not going to solicit. You're going to try to increase the numerator, decrease the denominator, but you still won't be soliciting the class.
2: That's correct, Your Honor, because we're we've gone ahead and structured it so that they're deemed to reject. Right. And right now they're not getting. They're not. They're not set to get any recovery correct. because there wasn't a bid that that exceeded the secured creditor's um, waterline.
1: Interesting. Okay. All right, thank you, Judge. Thank you.
3: Good morning, Your Honor. Dave Gremling of Kirkland and Ellis on behalf of the debtors. Um, I'm cognizant that we refiled the disclosure statement, the plan, and the proposed proposed form of order twice shortly before the holidays, so in the event that you need Um, a particular red line uh, or draft, we have those handy and can provide.
1: What was filed on the 23rd is what I'm working
3: on. Okay, yeah, that's the uh, version that we're working off of today. Um, But in case you find that that red line uh, maybe is not totally helpful, we have uh, red lines between the 1121 and 1218 version as well. Okay. uh, we can handle this however you'd like. Uh, I'm available for any questions that you'd have, but there are a few things that I'd like to hit on, uh, mainly uh, a summary of the information in the DS and why we believe it's adequate, uh, the objections that we received, and one informal response as well, and our responses, well, some of our responses to those, and an overview of our solicitation materials and procedures. Sound okay? Uh, Section 1125 of the Bankruptcy Code requires only that a uh, proponent of a proposed Chapter 11 plan must provide adequate information so that holders of claims that are voting on a plan uh, can make a reasonably informed judgment as to whether or not to accept that plan. We think that our disclosure statement, I'm not going to you know, go through all of it, it's 108 pages, clearly provides that, particularly, Your Honor, when you take account of whose votes are being solicited here as Mr. Bennett noted, at this point, we are not planning to solicit general unsecured claims, uh, the holders of those, and we're only soliciting the debtors' pre-petition lenders, which is approximately 20 banks, uh, each of whom is a sophisticated, sophisticated party, many of whom are represented by counsel. Several of those counsels are in the room here today, and several of them also uh, were intimately involved in the drafting of the plan and the disclosure statement. So we think that uh, while we think that the information contained in the DS is voluminous, we think particularly accounting for the parties receiving it, it is more than adequate to allow them to decide what they should do with respect to the plan for themselves. The DS covers, among other topics, uh, the nature of the holder's recoveries that they can expect under the plan, including the consideration that they would receive, key plan provisions, including the release, exculpation, and injunction provisions, Uh, A summary of the debtor's pre-petition capital structure, as well as the business's history and background of these Chapter 11 cases. A qualitative liquidation analysis, that's what we're calling it. I'll touch on that in a minute, unless you'd like to discuss it now. Uh, The debtor's ongoing investigation into certain historical transactions to determine whether or not there are any valuable causes of action that the estates may hold and the status of those. Risk factors to be considered when voting on the plan potential tax consequences of confirmation and implementation of the plan and a description of the debtor's court-approved sale process and its results. As Mr. Bennett noted, we did receive two objections which were filed on the docket. We also received some comments from the United States trustee. I'm aware that Ms. Sierra Fox is not in the courtroom today. I believe that there is a representative from her office here. Mr. Fox is here. Um, so he can, I'm sure he can correct the record or supplement if I say anything wrong or incomplete, but I just wanted to touch on a couple of key points that we discussed with uh, Ms. Sierra Fox last week. The first one is the liquidation analysis that I mentioned. The debtor's view prior to filing a disclosure statement is that one wasn't necessary in this case, uh, chiefly because of two facts. The first one is that we believe that everything is encumbered, and I understand that the challenge period hasn't yet expired, but so far, nobody has expressed a different view to us. Um, And in light of the debtor's extensive sale process, which resulted in the credit bids, which were well below the amount of debt uh, that was secured by the debtor's collateral, I mean, the debtor's assets, uh, we believed it was very clear that there was not going to be a scenario in which General Unsecured Claims received any recovery in a Chapter 7 in light of the fact that the value was well below the amount of debt secured by the the debtor's collateral. However, we spoke to Ms. Sierra Fox, and she was of the view that, you know, it's just pretty easy for people looking at a disclosure statement uh, to look at that side by side. Here's what you should expect to get under the plan, and here's what you should expect to get in a liquidation Uh, And, you know, that made sense to us. So we agreed that we would put one together. However, we weren't ready to file one that we were uh, totally able to stand behind all of the assumptions um, that would go into it as of filing of the disclosure statement. So we asked if she would be comfortable including it in a plan supplement. Our plan supplement deadline is one week ahead of the voting and objection deadline in our procedures. And we're comfortable doing that. And she seemed comfortable that that would give parties and interest enough time to evaluate it. Uh, before submitting their votes or filing any objections that they may want to. Um, Another point that was important to her that I thought I would raise today is that she's reserving her rights generally with respect to confirmation issues, um, but in particular, she was concerned about the third-party releases, particularly here where we're presenting holders of general and secured claims with an opt-out form, uh, and they aren't currently expected to receive anything under our plan. So just thought I would, uh, noting that she wasn't going to be here, Note that that was something that she communicated to me. Um, The other objections raised um, a handful of uh, information-related objections and confirmation issues. The information objections generally related to potential claims and causes of action against parties that the debtors may hold, including actions against the debtors' owners, the status of the debtors' investigation into the same, the related derivative action filed by Negotios. Again, that's the entity owned by Mr. Garawan uh, against PSP and certain individuals which purports to be on behalf of the debtors and some unclear language that was around the mechanics in the professional fee escrow account. We have revised the plan and the disclosure statement to add information on those topics and to be clearer on the professional fee escrow account. Um, And I can get into that if you'd like, Uh, but we think that that should resolve all of the information related objections and then a, a similar point, the committee included in their objection a draft letter, which they would like included in the solicitation package, uh, which essentially urges parties. Uh, well, It just gives their view of whether or not parties should um, accept or reject the plan and whether or not they should opt out of the releases contained therein. Your Honor, we think it's entirely appropriate that um, a letter from the fiduciary, the estate fiduciary, that represents general unsecured claimants in this case to have their views known. Uh, so we've amended our order, which is the revised form in front of you, to contemplate including the committee letter uh, in the solicitation package, which will go to the entities voting, and then also specifically uh, to Class 7, which is the class of general unsecured claims. Uh, Your Honor, we think that the remaining objections relate to confirmation of the plan, and so we think that they uh don't go to the narrower question of whether or not the disclosure statement contains adequate information. We think that they should be overruled today uh, on that basis. And I would just quickly summarize the solicitation package and timeline, uh, if that works for you, and then that would conclude my comments and uh, take any questions you have. Okay. Um, the solicitation materials that we contemplate sending out are uh, to the voting classes, that's classes three through six, which are the bridge uh, new money claims, the bridge roll-up claims, the pre-petition prop code debt and the pre-petition op code debt Those voting classes, each member will receive a ballot, a cover letter from the debtors, a notice of the confirmation hearing, and the committee's letter. Unimpaired classes, that's classes one and two, will receive a notice of non-voting status informing of them that they're not able to vote under the plan because they're unimpaired, and they will also, that's available at Exhibit 4 to the proposed order. Uh, and they will also receive a notice of confirmation hearing. Impaired classes that are deemed to reject, that's the general and secured claimants in class seven, and then classes 10 and 11 will also receive a notice of non-voting status informing them of their uh, their status not voting on the plan. They will also receive an an opt-out form. Uh, With respect to class seven, they will also receive the committee letter, and those classes will also receive a notice of the confirmation hearing. And then as to our timeline, we set the voting record date subject to your approval uh, last week on December 22nd. That is also the day of the general claims bar date. So you think that sort of tidally will define the universe of claims that our plan is addressing. Our solicitation deadline, that is the deadline to put everything in the mail to get to the parties that are voting or have the opportunity to opt out or otherwise are getting notice uh, under our proposed procedures. That would be two days from today on the 29th. Um, I don't know that this will be relevant here where we are only soliciting claims of secured, uh, pre-petitioned secured claimants whose uh, allowed amount is defined by reference to the plan, but the deadline to file 3018A motions uh, will be 10 days after mailing of the confirmation hearing notice or after there's an objection filed to a claim and our deadline to respond to 3018A motions or to object to claims for voting purposes, which again, we don't anticipate needing to since uh, any claim that is voting on the plan is defined by reference to the plan and general and security claims aren't voting. Our deadline would be January 16th, which would be 10 days ahead of the proposed voting and confirmation objection deadlines. Uh, And now I apologize, I'm going a little bit out of order. Our plan supplement deadline, as I noted, would be on January 19th which would be seven days ahead of the voting and objection deadline which would fall on January 26th at 4 p.m. Uh, and your honor I believe that Young Conway has reached out to chambers regarding a potential confirmation hearing date should you approve the disclosure statement and the solicitation procedures today and I think um, and you know nobody needs to agree to this today but I think uh, February 8th was what your honor had available. We didn't plug that into a uh, the disclosure statements or the solicitation procedures anywhere uh, at this time. And so I I know I've said quite a bit. Um, I'm happy to take any questions that you might have at this time.
1: I do have some questions, but I'd first like to hear what objections, if any, are still outstanding. So let me hear from the committee
4: <clears throat> Good morning, Your Honor. Andrew Bellman from Lone Star Sandler on behalf of the committee. Um, as, as Mr. Gremling noted, and I guess before and Mr. Bennett noted, um, most of our, I guess all of our pure disclosure-related objections have been addressed through additional disclosures in the disclosure statement. We appreciate that. We appreciate the inclusion of the letter, Um, We would like it to be directed to be immediately behind the debtor's cover letter so it's not buried somewhere. But other than that, you know, on on disclosure issues, we're we're squared away. Our broader concern in this case, though, is the releases contained in the plan. Um, The plan contains two buckets of releases, the debtor release, which does have a sort of carve-out for if the independent director um, ever concludes his 10-month-long investigation – and says the debtors can sue themselves, then perhaps they'll be able to. We don't anticipate that being their result, um, which is why the committee, which is duty-bound to investigate potential estate claims, is conducting its own investigation in parallel. Um, We don't think it makes sense to set a path in motion, though, to a plan that all but guarantees that the sponsor, the D's and O's, and others, will be absolved of any liability for the utter destruction of value in this company. just for, for level setting context, because we're you know we've we've talked in the abstract about the, the debtor and the sale process. This debtor is the byproduct of the combination of two companies. A 2017 acquisition followed by a 2019, we call it a merger in our papers. It was more of a sort of bolt-on acquisition combination. Um, two companies, a 70-year-old company and an 80-year-old company that had been profitable for decades and generations, that got bolted together, got loaded with debt, and three and a half years later ended up in bankruptcy. 400 million dollars underwater, um, a very, a very, very bad outcome of a business combination, and we recognize that you know Delaware has the business judgment rule and you know things don't necessarily get second guessed, but with that kind of value destruction, our view is that where there's smoke, there's fire, and we've you know, we've been conducting an investigation um, since our retention in late October. We are sort of starting behind the eight ball. We were eight months behind the independent director in in his investigation process. Um, We just don't think it makes sense to to send a plan, you know, rolling down the tracks with a broad release by the debtor and perhaps more onerously, a broad release by creditors. Um, This plan contains an opt-out style third-party release, which as to commercially sophisticated parties like the lenders may be something that's totally fine. But as to unsecured creditors, it's completely offensive. Um, It's a third-party release that purports to generate consent by inaction from people who are receiving absolutely nothing under the plan, who have no reason to even open the disclosure statement and read it, much less read our our very artfully drafted letter that will be included with it. Um, (coughs) They they have no reason to do those things. They have no duty to speak, yet the plan purports to impose one on them on peril of stripping away their claims against third parties. And that, to us, Your Honor, is simply offensive. Um, We've suggested in our papers that the third party release and the debtor release should both be stricken, um, I think with respect to the third-party release, if that were converted to an opt-in release um, as opposed to an opt-out release, we would find that less offensive. Um, but we just don't think it makes sense to start the solicitation process, expend estate resources in a case that's already thin, that's already you know, seeing the lenders take a, a massive deficiency, um, you know, and, and start that process today.
1: Why do you think in the circumstances of this case that we're inexorably down that path and that these releases won't
4: be appropriately dealt with at confirmation? Um, the, the debtor release, perhaps, Your Honor. We think that you know, the debtor release certainly could be dealt with at confirmation. The problem with the with the opt-out third-party release is if, Your Honor, does decide, well, this should be an opt-in release, are we going to get to the middle of January or the end of January and say, oh, well, we've got to go back and start over and resolicit people?
1: I don't think so. I think then the debtor took a shot, the wrong shot, and... Uh, the third-party releases wouldn't be approved then.
4: Well, if if Your Honor is is willing to reserve that issue for confirmation, then we Absolutely. will. Absolutely. We will follow Your Honor's directive. We would prefer it be stricken or converted at this point, but if not, we'll take Your Honor's lead.
1: Absolutely, I will say that in the circumstances of this case, the all the releases will, if not resol- if issues aren't resolved, be. Scrupulously looked at, and will expect evidence for any and all releases.
4: That is all we can ask of you today, Your Honor. And that concludes our comments. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Mr. Detweiler. Good
5: morning, Your Honor. May it please the court, Donald Detweiler, on behalf of Dan Garawan and uh, the Negotius Libertad uh, investor. Uh, Your Honor, uh, Garawan is a former CEO uh, of the of the debtors, uh, and is the single largest individual investor uh, in the debtors. Lifelong employee of the Garawan family farming business, uh, he had served a number of years as uh, CEO and then had uh, departed, uh, resigned from his uh, position. Uh, Mr. Your Honor, Mr. Garawan respectfully disagrees with the statements or characterizations of Mr. Garawan that were in paragraph 11 and 12 of the reply. It's unfortunate, it's not appropriate. They do little to advance the disclosure statement or plan, but the debtors took their shot and they said it. And all we'll say today is we respectfully disagree with that. And we'd ask counsel to perhaps move in a more productive fashion uh, moving forward if they feel the need to make uh, such characterizations of Mr. Garawan. So we'll leave that there. Mr. Garawan filed his objection to disclosure statement making three very simple points. One, there was inadequate disclosure as to the derivative action. As Your Honor saw, the debtors now have included information about the derivative action. Uh, so it wasn't there. Now it is there. So that's, that's a good thing. Uh, investigation of estate claims what are the estate claims, who's investigating, who's on first, who's on second, who's doing what, and what are those claims, and what are the, what is, and more, more importantly, the value uh, of those claims. And then, as Your Honor has noted, and I'm not going to go into the release issue today, but the consideration being paid for the releases that are being uh, received uh, by the parties. Uh, and we'll expect that that's going to be hotly contested, as Your Honor indicated, a hotly contested confirmation uh, issue. Your Honor, with regard to kind of improving upon where we are today, I spoke with debtors council and I appreciate their time this morning uh, regarding some improvements as to where we are on the disclosure statement. And they agreed to make uh, a, f- a couple of additions and changes. I think that uh, will be helpful. Uh, specifically in section three, uh, subsection R, uh, they added in uh, language. Uh, they, they added language about the objectors and the objectors' claims, but significantly, they focused only on the objectors in that section. Uh, th- later on, about three, four pages later in the disclosure statement, they put in a, a, a new paragraphs about what they're investigating. Uh, they agreed that in section R, rather than just focusing on the uh, the objectors, uh, they'll also put what the debtors are doing, what they're investigating. So that Section R is clear. It's not just the objectors, uh, you know, complaints, uh, but also that the debtors are investigating that, and we will hold them to uh, those investigations. With regard to Section uh, 7F, uh, subparagraph M, uh, 1 and 2, uh, there they uh, talk about Mr. Garwan and the derivative actions, uh, we ask that they provide in the disclosure statement a direct link to the derivative action. So anyone reading the uh, the disclosure statement can have direct access uh, to the derivative action. Uh, finally, if Your Honor, it doesn't sound like you're going to go forward with the opt-out. Uh, we ask that in the ballot or the, the notice that's going out to those uh, impaired uh creditors or investors who are, not, who are not entitled to vote on the plan that the opt-out on page 5 of their form be more conspicuous and that is council agreed to that as well. Well what we suggested is is that they put a big box mm-hmm. around it and they put a little title up top that says release opt-out form and it's clear so party can have it right there. They can understand that this is where you need to opt-out and I think uh, council has agreed to do that as well. Um, so, there is there was one other point, Your Honor, and I asked Council about there. you probably saw there was a whole prov- uh, information about Mr. Garawan that's now been added into the disclosure statement. Your Honor, I have not had the opportunity to confer with Mr. Garawan uh, regarding uh, that section uh, and the statements about the derivative action in him, and I would like the opportunity to at least confer with him to make sure that what's in the disclosure statement uh, that he is comfortable with and to the extent he has any uh, changes or language that he would like to add to confer with debtors counsel uh, regarding uh, those statements. Uh, just to make sure that our, our side of the story is there as well. Again, not, uh, it, it was more uh, mooted compared to what they put in the reply, but I just want to make sure that Mr. Garawan is comfortable with the, the sections in, uh, in the plan regarding him uh, and, and the statement of his uh, actions. Uh, so I'd request the opportunity to at least after this hearing prior to uh, the any changes to the order being submitted to the court under certification of counsel, just to uh, potentially add by the end of today any additional language that debtors council and we can agree upon with regard to the section dealing with the derivative actions and all that. Finally, Your Honor, the, I just noticed this when uh, council was speaking with regard to the notice of non-voting status and opt-out of releases. Um, I think it's exhibit five uh, to, the, to, to the solicitation package. Um, They do say, they'd add in, and we thank them for this, uh, however you are entitled to elect whether you would like to opt out of the debtor release and third-party releases on page 5 of the attached release opt-out form. So we appreciate uh, that they've done that. Um, The issue, Your Honor, though, I just noticed, uh, was on the, the second page, the next page, the very last paragraph, please take further notice that if you'd like to obtain a copy of the disclosure statement, the plan, the plan supplement, you uh, can contact the notice claims agent, and it's rather unusual uh, by writing or writing via electronic mail. Well, the claims agent has a website, and they ought to put a link there to to the disclosure statement and plan. They ought to put some link in here, too, and I apologize. I just picked up on this and hadn't had a chance to Confer with debtors' counsel on this, but there should just be a direct link uh, so that they, people aren't calling a claims agent uh, and, and getting, you know, frustrated. Uh, one thing that c- they can prove on is they can add a section C here and say, or alternatively, you may obtain a link to the plan and disclosure statement approved by the court and the solicitation package, and then they can link that to uh, the claims agent, who I think is Stretto. Uh, yeah, Stretto, and they can just have a link directly to that. And then what I what what they did agree to, and we greatly appreciate, is within the disclosure statement, there will be a link to the derivative action, so people can get uh, well informed with regard to better information to be well informed uh, on the uh, disclosure statement and the opt-out issues. So, Your Honor, I, I, I'll rest there. See so if Your Honor has any questions uh, for for us.
1: No, I don't have any questions. Um, I don't have any questions. One of the questions I did have is who's getting the disclosure statement. It wasn't totally clear to me yeah. that anybody's actually receiving it as part of the package, and I want to hear about that. Yeah. But um, uh, I don't have any questions. Okay, Thank so you. for impaired, as long as they
5: get a link to it, that'll be great. Thank you, Your Honor, very Thank much. Thank
1: you. Have a good day. Mr. Fox.
6: Good morning, Your Honor. May it please the Court. Tim Fox on behalf of the United States Trustee. I'm here uh, as Ms. Sierra Fox is uh, out of office this week. Um, I just want to start by thanking Debtors Counsel for uh, accommodating my office's informal comments. As represented by Debtors Counsel, our issues for purposes of today's hearing have been resolved. Um, I would like to specifically note that the resolution as it relates to the liquidation analysis is predicated on the specific facts of these debtors. And my office reserves all rights on that issue in future cases where circumstances may differ. With respect to these uh, Chapter 11 cases, I did want to just read a specific reservation of rights into the record that um, corresponds to what debtors counsel had previewed for your honor. uh, And that is that the US trustee reserves all rights in connection with confirmation. In particular, among other concerns, the US trustee has raised with debtors that uh, he takes issue with the debtors attempt to extract a third party release from the dean projecting general unsecured creditor class, which is getting nothing under the plan. The US trustee did not raise this issue in connection with solicitation, because the US trustee is mindful of this court's prior decisions and bench rulings on the opt out processes. Um, Your honor's further comments today are consistent with our understanding of how this issue is addressed uh, before your honor. Um, So in connection with solicitation have not pressed that issue, but is prepared to raise that um, issue. with respect to the formal confirmation objection, especially if that confirmation, the general unsecured creditor class is still receiving nothing under the plan. Thank you, Your yes, Honor. Thank you.
1: Anyone else?
0: Mr. Uh, hello, Your Honor, can you, can you hear me over Zoom?
1: I'm sorry, Mr. Zatz.
0: Uh, yes, hello. Um, am I audible and possibly even visible in the courtroom today?
1: Yes, you are both.
0: Excellent. Um, good morning, Your Honor. Uh, Andrew Zetz of White & Case on behalf of RoboBank. Um Robobank is the administrative agent and Propco collateral agent under the pre-petition bridge facility and is a lender under the pre-petition Opco facility. Um, RoboBank does not object to the approval of the disclosure statement and solicitation materials today. We would, however, like to inform the court the bridge agent does not yet support the plan that the debtors are seeking to solicit. As a reminder, prior to the filing of these Chapter 11 cases, a steering committee was formed consisting of the bridge agent, the OPCO facility agent, MetLife, and Compure, and Ag Country later joined the steer co as well. The steer co is not the same as the required lenders, as they are sometimes referred to, it is the MetLife Comp here and Ag country contingent that speaks for acquired lenders and pre-partition facilities. And the agents have been working with these lenders to, for the better part of a year, negotiate a path forward for Primo loaner to address this liquidity issues, including providing the bridge facility in April and planning for these Chapter 11 cases. One of the major achievements of the STIRCO was negotiating a lender support agreement in advance of the Chapter 11 filing. It is on file at Docket Number 371. Debtors are not party to this agreement, and it is purely an intercreditor arrangement. The lender support agreement represents an agreement amongst the agents and the required lenders under each of the debtor's three pre-petition facilities to cooperate on key matters in the Chapter 11 cases and a value allocation as between the opco lenders and the propco lenders, depending on the results of the debtor sale process. The debtors have not sought court approval of the lender support agreement, but it remains a crucial guide in these Chapter 11 cases, and it is the framework for the plan the debtors are seeking to solicit. One of the key components of the lender support agreement is that in the credit bid scenario that we now find ourselves in, the OPCO lenders are entitled to a $30 million promissory note from Propco. Parties on the Opco side gave up meaningful rights for this promissory note, and the note was meant to be a dependable money-good instrument that would be repaid in short order. There's a disagreement among the Circo as to what the lender support agreement says about the priority of this note, and the agent's read of the lender support agreement is that the only debt that can come ahead of the note is the new money portion of the bridge facility. There are also a few other disputes regarding the plan mechanics and the relationship between Opco and Propco post-emergence. The agents, who are represented by White and Case, the Austin, and Covington, have been engaging in negotiations regarding a potential resolution of this dispute with the required lenders, represented by Morgan, Van Allen and Morgan Lewis. The plan does not yet dictate the outcome of the dispute, so if we can come to an agreement, that can be reflected in the plan supplement. If we cannot come to an agreement, the agents may well be back before this court raising related issues around approval of any proposed facility or plan confirmation. We reserve all rights in that regard. unless your honor any questions, that concludes my remarks today. No,
1: I have no questions, thank you. But it's prompted Mr. Siegel to stand up.
0: I had thought that perhaps this would be the hearing I did not need to speak at, but so be it. Um, Your Honor, I don't specifically take quarrel with anything Mr. Zatz has said other than to say that um, we have our own views about what the lender support agreement um, yields and what rights are under there. We are working in good faith to resolve them. And we also reserve all rights in the event that uh, we are not able to reach a resolution
6: on that matter. I mean, it's that that simple. Thank
1: Thank you. Anyone else? Your Honor, this is Genevieve Weiner with Sidley Austin. May I be heard? Ms. Weiner. Thank you. Um, and thank you for accommodating the Zoom appearance. I very much appreciate that. Um, I'll be brief. I just wanted to to join in Mr. Zatz's comments and the general reservation of rights and, and hope that we're able to resolve everything consensually. Um, but again, join in the reservation of rights that we may be before, Your Honor, if it's not possible. Thank you. Okay. And um, Ms. Weiner, you represent... Which bank? Uh, my, I represent um, RBC as agent under the APCO facility and as a lender under the APCO facility.
3: Thank you. Thank
1: you. Anyone else? <laughs> Good
3: morning again, Your Honor, and apologies to anybody that I inconvenienced by leaving my enormous stack of papers on the podium. Um, as to the first thing that I'd like to address, um, well, first I did speak with Mr. Detweiler this morning. He has represented our conversation completely accurately. I should have mentioned that in my initial conversation, uh, comments and, um, all of the edits that he said that we agreed to, we did, and we will file an updated, uh, form of order and disclosure statement reflecting those. Um, As to the point that he raised with respect to the notice of non-voting status and the point that you raised with respect to who gets the plan and disclosure statement, um, we're happy to go a different direction. But in short, the answer was we weren't planning on sending a hard copy to anybody um, in light of the particular facts where, as I noted, the voting creditors, are sophisticated, have been involved in the process, and we're working on what we expect will be sort of a shoestring budget to get to the finish line in these cases. We thought maybe we'd, you know, pinch a penny where we could. However, if Your Honor believes that sending paper copies is appropriate, we're happy to do so. Uh, The workaround that we thought that we had was that the notice of the confirmation hearing is going to the full creditor matrix and all holders of interest in these cases and page 10 of that notice does give a link to the Shredo page and say that all solicitation materials can be accessed there. So we did feel that we had provided access to the solicitation materials, admittedly electronically, to all parties in the case. Um, However, if it is your view that we should send paper copies to the solicitation parties, uh, to the unsecured creditors, or note somehow otherwise where they can access the information, we're happy to take that feedback and update our materials.
1: I'm interested if the Office of the United States Trustee has a view on this. Um, the rules say what they say. But what's also interesting is while the um, – well, 1125 talks about the um, – addresses the standard as what is necessary for voting parties to make an informed decision. I think it's an interesting question as to to when you're asking for a third party release, where the disclosure statement should have to go. So, but um, nobody's raised that and nobody's um, briefed that issue for me. But, Mr. Fox, do you have a view on paper given the rules? I don't know where the U.S. Trustee is on this issue.
6: Thank thank you, Your Honor. Uh, May it please the Court, Tim Fox, on behalf of the United States Trustee. Uh, Your Honor, uh, this is an issue that comes up um, from time to time, and I believe that in general there's often the push to make sure that people receive paper copies or at least the, the USB hard drive or the CD. However, the different versions of it have been in the past. Um, uh, Miss Sierra Fox did not press for that under these circumstances, and I believe there's probably been orders from uh, others on the bench that have uh, allowed variations on what is um, uh, permissible with respect to solicitation. Um, I don't know if there's a a uniform hardline position that my client has taken. This will be something that um, I can... Uh, follow-up further, but we did not take a specific position on it, especially with respect to these facts, given the narrow universe of voting parties. Um, With respect to the other larger issue of the third-party release, um, Your Honor, we would view that as being very much part and parcel with, you know, did the debtors take the right shot with respect to the relief they're seeking? Um, And as part of not raising that issue at solicitation, would reserve all rights to point out what we feel uh, may be important facts for the consideration of that third party release relief at confirmation
1: Fair enough okay um, the rules hasn't have the rules haven 't caught up with uh, where we are today, and this is coming from a dinosaur so um, uh, I given that the uh, lenders are sophisticated, they aren't objecting, they aren't asking for more paper on their desk. I will permit the uh, disclosure statement uh, as uh, – permit service of the disclosure statement as you're requesting. I do think it's appropriate to put a link to, to it on Stretto, it's easy to do and um, that's probably where many people will um, will go. Uh, you can even do that on a phone. So, uh, you know, uh, I think it's okay for purposes of this case. I'm not making a ruling. More generally, the U.S. trustees' rights are reserved in all respects.
3: Understood, Your Honor. And uh, Mr. Detweiler's point about the notice of non-voting status—that it could probably, you know, use a link as well. In it addition, that—that's well I would taken. put it we there. Have, if I we yeah. um, Otherwise, I think that the main point that was. Um, raised in parties responses was the third party release and its propriety I think where the room has come down is that that's going to be an issue that uh, will be either resolved ahead of or contested at confirmation Um, and so I don't believe it's necessary for me to say more on that matter Um, and that concludes my comments if your honor has more questions Mr.
1: Detweiler did ask for an opportunity to review the new language that's come in with respect to his client And he, I will grant him that opportunity, and uh, if he wants to have a sentence or two that says Mr. Gurawan disagrees with whatever, I think that's fine, and that's the purpose of a disclosure statement. So that's, um, I know that Debtor will accommodate on that. Of course. Okay. I'm looking at the form of order. Okay. Paragraph 3 does have a statement with respect to um, it's a, a finding, actually, that the disclosure statement in all exhibits is sufficient notice of the injunction, exculpation of release provisions in satisfaction of rule 3016 C, which I think only goes to injunction provisions and doesn't go to releases and exculpation, if my recollection of the rule is correct. Um, and that requires bold and caps and whatever the rule requires. So I'll find it with respect to the injunction. I'm leaving open the release issue because the US trustee has and others have reserved on that issue in the circumstances of this case.
3: Okay. We will strike exaltation and release.
1: Um okay, the rule thirty eighteen deadline I did have an issue with, but um, because I think it's way too close to voting. But here, given that the only people that could be subject to that are the lenders, I'll permit it, but I'm saying right now to the room and those of you who do debtor work a lot in this jurisdiction, way too close. I would not permit it if there were objections to unsecured claims generally. First place I see this is in the footnote on paragraph on page doesn't have a page the footnote um, following the the, the uh, deadline uh, the scheduling it's footnote three in the order um, I uh, where it says the debtors will use commercially reasonable efforts to ensure that any holder of a claim who has filed duplicate claims. Whether against the same or multiple debtors that are classified under the plan in the same voting class receives no more than one solicitation package. Again, maybe for purposes of this plan, it's okay, I don't know. But I thought this plan was a single plan for each debtors that were not substantively consolidated. So how does this work with creditors who have claims against more than one debtor? Shouldn't they get a vote for each debtor? It's gonna dovetail into this consolidated four-class ballot, (laughs) which um, this is now the second time in, a month that I've been asked to put more than one class in a ballot and previous nine years. I've never been asked to do that. So, I'm trying to understand how this works.
3: So, I think our intention was just to avoid burdening parties with, you know, an unnecessary giant stack of papers. Um, I believe we are putting forth the plan as a per-debtor So one plan for every debtor, you get a vote for every debtor. Um, I suppose that the correct solution would be to allow each party, to send each party a ballot for every debtor that they have a claim against. So I think we have 10-ish debtors in this case with different claims against them. So it might be up to 10 ballots for some creditors, and we won't duplicate the other solicitation materials, if that's okay with your Honor.
1: That's fine with me, Mr. Siegel seems to have a view. Yes, and I think there have to be. And to be able to have a count, a valid count, we have to know which claim against which debtor.
3: It may get too confusing. Alternatively, we could make a grid with claims and debtors and they could check boxes, but I suppose it'd be like a 40 box grid uh, that maybe we don't want them to have to muck through both on separate ballots.
1: Okay. Paragraph 22. Okay. Is an assumption notice. And is the debtor going to be assuming any contracts?
3: I think we are not prepared to make a definitive statement, Uh, one way or the other. We do anticipate rejecting a number of contracts uh, between now and the end of the cases. We just wanted to preserve the flexibility because, as Your Honor is aware, the Propco entity will be moving forward uh, with its assets, and we, uh, in conjunction with parties of in interest in this case, haven't fully evaluated whether or not there are any contracts that they may want to take with them out of the Chapter 11 cases, so we thought it would be helpful to preserve the flexibility to provide for assumption here.
1: Okay, my recollection of the notice itself is that parties don't get to object um, and on the theory that they had an uh, they got a cure notice before, and so now they don't get to object, but aren't we really in a different place now? That cure notice went with respect to a sale. The sale isn't happening. We're now in a plan context. Maybe the cure issue, maybe, has been resolved, but what if they have a problem more generally with assumption?
3: So the two problems that are top of mind for me that they may have would be something cure-related, which we believe that performance has continued on all contracts on a post-position basis, so I believe we would send them the same proposed cure amount that they got before. Uh, and then the second issue that they might have might be related to the sort of identity of the go-forward contract counterparty that they're negotiating with. Correct. I would be surprised if any of the contracts that the PropCo, a legal entity that primarily holds land, is party to are personal services contracts or contracts that otherwise provide uh, an excuse for performance for one counterparty based on an ownership change of PropCo. I can't tell you for sure standing here today that there are none of those contracts. Um,
1: Well, what if they want adequate assurance of future performance?
3: Would your honor be comfortable with us taking the position that in the event that their right to object has passed except with respect to adequate assurance of future performance, anything related to the new ownership of PropCo, or a potential uh, default that needs to be cured that occurred after we sent the original
1: notice assuming your original notice was what i would anticipate it was and i don't remember then that makes sense to me but i think they have to have an opportunity to object on all those fronts
3: okay we will update the notice and we will update this we we will update the order (laughs) to reflect that
1: And that appears as well in the solicitation and voting procedures on page 5. The executory contract issue.
3: Okay, I see that.
1: I did have a question on, on um, now I'm in the um, solicitation and voting procedures, page 7. Okay. I did have a, class, a question about this established by reference to the plan, but I assume that the debtor and the creditors understand what that means in terms of their claims.
3: So I do think we're on the same page with respect to what it means. My recollection is that the plan defines each of these by reference to the amount outstanding as of the petition date. And I uh, believe that we have, and if we haven't, we will uh, get with them to make sure that there's an agreed calculation.
1: And are they going to be based on the amount outstanding as of the petition date? Or is anything going to reflect efficiency claims or no?
3: So I believe it will be the amount outstanding as of the petition date, um, which would include the amount that will likely ultimately be a deficiency claim.
1: Okay. Um, in terms of the voting and ballot tabulation procedures, I'm... For purposes of this case, given that we're talking about soliciting, I think you said 10 people, 10 lenders or 20 lenders or something. Okay. I'm okay with that. I want any votes that aren't counted, any extensions of time by the lenders, um, anything that isn't just a straight counting of the ballot, I want in the report. So I understand um, the results. Okay, the ballot is this combined ballot for class three, class four, class five, and class six. Um, And an ability to either accept or reject, collectively. As I said, this is the second time now mm-hmm. in a month that I'm being given a combined ballot. What's the purpose of that?
3: So it may be coming to the conclusion that it was ill-advised, but I think we just thought it would be simpler for folks. I think we anticipated that, and I understand that folks are allowed to vote their different claims to accept or reject and sort of bifurcate those. We uh, maybe when we were originally putting this together, we didn't think that anybody would be doing that, so we thought it might be easier for. Uh, Mr. Siegel's clients, for example, to just write a number on each line, click accept once, and be done with it. But uh, I, I appreciate the issues that your Honor is flagging. We had been discussing uh, amongst ourselves uh, as debtors counseling with Stretto that we probably did need to send each party with multiple claims against the same debtor um, multiple ballots. I believe that our procedures do provide that, all of your claims in a class need to go the same direction, but to do not provide, and I don't think that they would be able to provide your claims in different classes need to be going the same direction. So we had been planning to send, um, for example, if there were a lender that was in both bridge classes, three and four, and then in one or both of five and six, sending them a corresponding number of ballots. Um, it seems that now we're maybe getting to a place where we'd be sending them a large number of ballots both for the different classes of claims and uh, the different debtors, because some of the classes would apply to multiple debtors. But in this case, where there are approximately 20 parties receiving ballots, um, I don't think that the large number that certain voters will get will be too burdensome. Uh, On the estates, at least, they might find that they have, you know, 30, 40 ballots, but we can work with them to make sure that their votes are recorded the way they want them to be.
1: I guess, you know, I maybe ultimately don't care, but for purposes of this case, given who's getting it and if the lenders don't care, but um, I wanna make sure we have an accurate vote. I don't want any mistakes about the vote because that's just, that's then becomes a distraction.
3: So. Um, Maybe what we should do is recut it so that there is a Class 3 ballot, a Class 4 ballot, a Class 5 ballot, a Class 6 ballot, and we'll have a box for each debtor, and you can tell us which way you're you voting with respect tell you to you what they're voting. And uh, I'll try not to get creative in future cases.
1: Creativity is is, uh, is okay. <laughs> um, I'm not opposed to, crea- uh, to creativity, but I just don't want to cause an – Unnecessary issues with with voting. Okay. Um, okay. The notice of non-voting status.
3: Um, with respect to unimpaired, impaired, or disputed claims.
1: Not sure it matters, but I'm on the unimpaired. Okay. I think you have to read a whole lot before you get to the box where you check the opt-out. And I'm not even sure that people are gonna realize that this is something they should send back because there's no title on it, there's no anything on it. Uh, And I don't think it should be labeled optional. I think that's misleading. It may be optional in the sense that you can check or not check, but it's not optional in terms of reading something. And I think it should have a caption. It should have opt-out form. Could be the title, I suppose. And then right on the front, is where that box should go, and then you can have all the other stuff that they should read. But I think you know, seven pa- five pages in is too too much. Okay. And when everything and when everything is bolded or capped, then nothing is bolded and capped. So it's it's hard to find the important stuff, right? So to me, the important stuff goes on the front page. And that's where you vote. And you can say, please read below before you vote, or before you check the box or make your choices to whether you're gonna check it or not. I think it should be right on the front page with a caption. People understand it's something other than the notice. The only thing somebody's going to send back here is that form. In fact, yeah, this form is nine pages. You know, it's more than some ballots. So...
3: Yeah, I think we can rework it to title, maybe we'll call it an opt-out form and notice of non-voting status. We'll move the checkbox earlier Maybe we'll to the front. We'll maybe have that be a separate page that you can just send that back. Uh, we'll remove the word optional um, at least to the extent that it's suggesting that. I think it's suggesting not, you, you read, this, read this, don't read this. Right.
1: That's what I think it suggests. Yeah.
3: Those uh, those points are well taken. Um, we'll update this form and the other and all the other status. Yeah. And um, as discussed by Mr. Detweiler, we agreed to. Um, checkbox so
1: we'll do that as well okay well we may all get some guidance on releases soon but uh, we'll see but I have said the further people push getting third-party releases the more difficult it is to um, continue to grant them you push the outer boundaries those are my comments on the order. I am prepared to approve the disclosure statement as a disclosure statement The debtor resolved um, all of the disclosure statement objections. And uh, I will find that the disclosure con- uh, statement contains information that is adequate for the lenders and the classes that are voting on the plan to uh, make an informed decision about whether to accept or reject the plan. And again, in the circumstances of this case, I'll approve these solicitation procedures. But um, they are not a model for the solicitation procedures that I would approve in a plan where we had, for example, a general unsecured creditor class voting and a debtor was going to be objecting to claims, um, uh, they would be scrutinized much more closely. Here we have a sophisticated class represented by counsel who will assist in um, in voting, and we don't anticipate any objections to claims.
3: Okay, we will uh, make the revisions that Mr. Delahire discussed and he reviewed for you to the disclosure statement. We will submit a revised uh, form of order reflecting your comments on the record today and we appreciate your time, especially between the holidays.
1: thank my staff. <laughs> we, um,
3: we're aware that the list of people we need to thank for their avail- availability and efforts is, is pretty long.
1: The um, and, and when you resubmit it, please contact Ms. Batts so that uh, she knows, and we uh, take a look for it. Okay, February 8th, I did not have on my calendar. Um, it is available. I'd actually like to take a minute to speak with Ms. Batts to make sure that there's not something that I don't know about that is on that date. So if you'll give me just a couple of minutes, we'll be in recess, and then I can come back and confirm a date for you. Of course, thank you. Okay, February 8th is available. Do you want the morning or the afternoon?
3: One second, Your Honor. I think we prefer the morning that day.
1: Okay, 10 o'clock on the 8th. Well, I will see you all then, happy holidays, happy new year to everyone. Thank you, Your Honor.